This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we continue on Tap 9 month with a discussion on the new data protection features in on Tap 9, including Snaplock. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. This is On Tap Nine Month Data Protection version. We're going to talk about data protection features in On Tap Nine. Sitting with me is Glenn Sizemore. I didn't make you say it this time. I know. I'm 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 a little off put. I like it. Good. But let's let's no, don't you. What are you doing talking before you talk to? But who are you? Oh God damn it! Everybody we are so who close. I am. I'm the guy <laughs> that talks. The dude. <laughs> the dude abides. Uh, Justin Parisi. That's right. I forgot to introduce myself. That's ridiculous. Because this may be the first time you're listening to this podcast. If so, welcome. If not, then hi. All right. Uh, also sitting in the studio is Andrew Sullivan. Say hello. Hello. All right. So. Um, We've, we're doing ONTAP 9 month, which is basically an entire month dedicated to ONTAP 9. You've already heard from us with Lee Caswell talking about the branding of ONTAP 9, as well as the overview of ONTAP 9 features. One of the features we're going to be talking about, or actually a few of the features we're going to be talking about, are data protection related. So today I brought with us Sid Agrawal. Is that how I say it, Sid? Yep, that's right. All right. Uh, and also Mike Worthen. Say hello, Mike. Hello. All right, so Mike Worthen is the TME for uh, everything? <laughs> Snapmirror and uh, and some Metro Cluster. Okay, and Sid, what are you the, te- the te- uh, technical marketing engineer for? Uh, so I'm a TME for Snaplock. Is that a question? <laughs> <laughs> no. Would you like more? <laughs> <laughs> Do they not tell you your title or your product? <laughs> No, so I'm a technical marketing engineer for Snaplock, which is uh, NetApp's warm solution, and we'll talk more about it. Yes, we will. So actually, um, it's a good time to actually talk about Snaplock. You know, I, I don't think a lot of people know, or maybe maybe everybody knows, and I'm the only one who doesn't know, what is a Snaplock? Well, we haven't really talked about it for like three or four years. For... We haven't. We haven't had a reason to. Yeah, it's been a while it since been. we've added it to a product. That's right. So now that we are getting it, spoiler alert, um, Sid, tell us what a Snaplock is. So before I talk about Snaplock, I would like to give a little bit of background about what compliance is and what are the different compliance standards, right? So this whole business, it started back in mid-90s when we started moving from physical to digital storage. So you might have heard of Security and Exchange Commission and their regulation SEC 17A4, which mandates storing all the broker-dealer transactions uh, in uh, to be audited by a third party or a regulator for compliance purposes, right? So similar to this regulation, there are multiple regulations. For example, HIPAA, which is for healthcare. You have Serbanis, Oxley, so to address this requirement, we came up with a solution called Snaplock. It is a software-based worm solution which works with ONTAP. And this is the first time Snaplock is coming in in the clustered environment, which is ONTAP 9. So there are a few new features which we have included, a uh, few things which have been simplified in ONTAP 9. And uh, there are a few more restrictions which we have. 
So essentially, SnapLock is a way for me to ensure that whoever is managing the storage has to comply with data, right? The seven-year HIPAA standards, that sort of thing? Exactly, exactly. So the people use it for uh, complying to the government regulations as well as for, for some self-regulatory stuff. So we have both types of customers, and based on that, we have two different flavors of SnapLock. One is more strict, which is SnapLock compliant model, and other one is SnapLock Enterprise, which is used in case of uh, self-regulatory environments. Ah, so we didn't actually have that option in 7MO, did we, where we had the two different SnapLocks? We did have that option, and uh, oh, we did. Okay. there are a few more additions. For example, in 7Mode, we had two separate licenses for both models, right? But going forward in ONTAP 9, we have simplified that whole thing. And we only have single license to enable both SnapLock compliance and SnapLock enterprise. So we received a lot of feedback from the field and from the customers that why we have two separate licenses. So, so, so to simplify that whole thing, we only have single license to enable both. And there are a few features such as privilege delete, which few customers use uh, for which they needed both the licenses. So now they will need only a single license to enable all the features so, so we set up the the industry that that this is aimed at, and that's the compliance industry, and and quoted a bunch of regulation that that you know I think we're all fairly familiar with at this point that that drive a lot of data retention needs uh, in the IT industry. How does SnapLock specifically help address those? So SnapLock is it is not a separate software. It doesn't need a special hardware. It works with ONTAP. So customers who are using ONTAP. All they have to do is enable the license for SnapLock, and they can start using SnapLock for the data retention purposes. Now, so, so sorry to interrupt, Sid. So, so how is SnapLock different from, say, a SnapShot or a, snap a regular? Vault. I, I think yeah, what we're asking vault. is, how does it work? Yes, please tell us what it is. Okay, <laughs> so, um, so the whole backbone of the SnapLock architecture is a special purpose clock called compliance clock. So basically, the way SnapLock works is you store your data on a volume. You set the retention date for, for your data, right? And you say that, for example, I want to store my data for next 30 years. So until that retention date expires, nobody can delete that data in in next 30 years so uh, so let me go step by step that how snaplock works so first you initialize the special purpose clock which we call as compliance clock and the reason to do that is because we cannot rely on system clock because anybody can go ahead and modify yeah. this clock to modify the retention time right and that defeats the purpose of whole retention business so you initialize the compliance clock which works on the node basis once you have done that, then you create the SnapLock aggregates, right? So it works the same way as your regular aggregates do. The only thing is you have to specify whether it is a SnapLock compliance aggregate or a SnapLock enterprise aggregate. And that is to specify the flexibility, whether you need SLE aggregate or SLC aggregates. So you can't have SnapLock data on regular aggregates. They have to be on their own special aggregates. Exactly. No, you cannot have SnapLock data on regular aggregates. Once you do that, then you 
can create the volumes within the snaplock aggregates and they inherit the property of these of the aggregates for example all the volumes which you create in snaplock compliance aggregates will become snaplock compliant volumes and same stands for snaplock enterprise volumes right now you can start storing your files on your uh, volumes but just copying your files on the snaplock volumes is not enough to commit that data to worm there is one explicit step which you need to take in order to commit your data to worm right and that is changing the file permissions from read write to read only once you do that your data is committed to worm now you haven't specified the retention period at this point so before you change permissions of files from read write to read only you need to specify the retention period of the file so you can do that on file basis if you do not do that then it is then we take the default retention period for the volume right so you can specify the minimum retention period for the volume or maximum retention period or default retention period for example in case of sec 17a4 we want you to store your data for 30 years in case of hipaa they want you to store your data for 7 years right so you can specify that on volume basis and you can also do that on per file basis so if i specify the retention period of a file for let's say 30 years for example i can say that i want to retain this file till 1st june 2036 right so until that time nobody can go ahead and delete that file until that time period expires so what happens if i accidentally set the wrong date so there are two things so as i specified earlier we have two models right one is snaplock compliance and other one is snaplock enterprise now since snaplock compliance is more strict you cannot go ahead and change the retention period for that file the only attribute you can change once that file has been committed to worm is extending that retention period but if you are using snaplock enterprise we trust an admin in that case so there is a user with a role called snaplock admin role vs admin snaplock and that user can go ahead and delete those files even before the retention period has expired so if you have committed a files by mistake into the worm for a longer retention period you can delete those files you can recommit them and you can fix your retention period but i don't know, I don't know about you guys but i've never trusted an admin nope <laughs> that's why we all have jobs <laughs> well that's why we call it trusted admin model so in that case it is self regulatory so in case as where you don't have to comply to the government regulations you can use snaplock enterprise or as we call it sle model so so let's talk about this admin is this admin a admin on the svm or cluster or is it an admin on the file system like an actual administrator like in the domain or a root user so it's on the it's on the v server level svm level Okay, so you can assign different roles through RBAC, I assume. Yes, yeah, so you have uh, different users with different roles, and one of the roles is SVM admin role. Uh, so in in this case, it is Snaplock admin role, and that user, uh, since he has special permissions, uh, he or she can go ahead and delete or take some steps which other regular users cannot. Okay, excellent. So you you mentioned worm a few times and I don't know if everyone is familiar with worm. I know everyone in this room probably is familiar with worm and it's not the little thing that comes out of your apple. <laughs> it's at the bottom of the tequila bottle. Right? Right? Mezcal. Bottle. Yeah, yeah. It's totally yeah, a tequila so, bottle. 
the right ones read many. Right. So that's that's the point of Snapluck, right? Being able to write it once, you change your permissions to read only, and then you read as many times as you want. Too bad. You can't delete it anymore unless you're using Enterprise. So so just to summarize, right, let, let me make sure I got this right. So Snaplock is is now in ONTAP 9, which is the new name for cluster data on tap. It is enabled through a license using standard disks. We don't have to have special disks, right? And any aggregates can be enabled for Snaplock, uh, but once it's enabled on that aggregate, any volume on the aggregate automatically has Snaplock enabled for it. Uh, and it becomes worm, it becomes write once, read many, once the properties on the file have been changed to read only, correct? Correct, exactly. So so can I ask a quick question about some other features inside of ONTAP that might, have, might, might play well with that? So for example, if I have my data on a different aggregate and I snap mirror, snap vault onto that snap lock uh, aggregate, does that become a, a snap, uh, snap lock compliance or, or enterprise type volume? Is there anything extra I need to do there? So in ONTAP 9, we only have snap mirror relationships between like to like volumes. So you can only snap mirror data from snap lock enterprise volume to a snap lock enterprise volume and snap lock compliance volume to a snap lock compliance volume. So that the worm properties of that data, they are copied over to the destination volume. In case of SnapLock with SnapVault, so you can copy your snapshots from a regular volume to a SnapLock volume using SnapVault. And those for those snapshot copies, you can specify the retention period as you do with your regular data, right? So if I specify the retention period for my snapshot copies to be, let's say, six months, then I cannot delete those snapshot copies for the next six months until that retention period expires. So is, is that snap mirror capability, is that something that we might see changing in the future? I mean, I know that that's, well, that's incredibly useful. It's also um, a little bit limiting when it comes to flexibility and in, in system configuration and things of that nature. Well, that's those are the kind of use cases which we have seen. So earlier we had more flexibility in seven mode. For example, you could copy your data from SLE to SLC or from regular to SLE, but we saw in the, or we received feedback from the field and they use it only for like to like scenario. Like people don't copy their data from SLE volumes to SLC volumes or from regular to SLC volume. So in order to protect the worm attributes and to keep them compliant to regulatory, uh, uh, to, to the compliance regulations, uh, these are the restrictions which we have. Gotcha, thank you. That, that, that actually makes perfect sense to me. You know, SnapLock is a feature that's been in ONTAP. God, I don't even remember the first release it was added. It was a 7-something, though. Um, it's been around a long time, and we've got a lot of customers that have used it for a very long time, and we've got a really big install base. So, yeah, when it comes time to, to, to rewrite that and port that to the future, of course, we're, we're not going to go back and spend a lot of time working on stuff that people didn't use. Uh -huh. Right, we just focused on the parts of the product that people relied upon. And uh, going forward, I would like to mention uh, the new support which we have in ONTAP 9. So we have manageability support, which we didn't have earlier in 7 mode. So going forward in ONTAP 9, we have support for system manager as well as unified manager for SnapLock. 
you mentioned that we have special aggregates for SnapLock. Does that include all disk types, or do we have a specific set of disk types? So we do not have support for AFF at this point, and we are still evaluating the need of, uh, for the use of SnapLock on AFF. Once we figure that out, then uh, in future we'll plan for that. But we do have support for uh, the other platforms. So, Sid, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No flash? Why? So, we still haven't qualified the use of AFF with SnapLock uh, for this release. And based on the use cases, we will start thinking about it uh, in the future. Okay, that makes sense. So, we're just dealing with products, product release cycles. Okay. Okay, that's fair enough. I'm, you know, so it doesn't mean that it's not going to make it in there. Just something that has to be qualified. Yeah, and I would like to also bring up another uh, new feature or new support which we have in ONTAP nine, which is the support for NSC drives for SnapLock compliance, which we did not oh, have. Oh yeah, the, is it the encrypted drives? Oh yeah, man, we're gonna oh, we're gonna yeah. put security on top of your security on top of security. Yo, dog, I heard you want more security on your security. <laughs> we got that. <laughs> Monitor yep. your monitoring program. Yeah, so the, the NSC is, uh, or the, the encryption piece is free now, right? I mean, we can license it for free. Yes. So, and now we can do SnapLock with it as well. So we yes. can protect our archives. And since there's the first release uh, in clustered environment, there are uh, a lot of customers who have been waiting for SnapLock uh, in clustered environment. So we have support for uh, 7MTT for them in uh, 7MTT 3.1 to migrate from 7 mode to ONTAP 9. So is this copy-based or copy-free as well? This is only copy-based at this point. So we have support for manual TDP transition as well as 7MTT transition. Cool. All right, Sid, so we got SnapLock. That's pretty awesome. And I don't know, honestly, long overdue. But are we missing anything? Are we adding anything through 7 mode? Is there feature parity all the way? Or what, what are we missing here? So we have feature parity with seven mode snap lock uh, with a few exceptions. So at this point, uh, we do not have support for Metro cluster with snap lock compliance. Okay. We still have support for a snap lock. Uh, uh, we still have support for Metro cluster with snap lock enterprise, but not with uh, snap lock compliance because we cannot allow the data deletion or data destruction in any of the scenarios. Uh, for uh, to keep our customers uh, compliant to the regulations. So we had we had this Metro cluster compliance in seven mode though, right? We did have, but there were few restrictions, and uh, to keep our uh, customers totally compliant with the regulations, we have removed or we are saying that we don't do not support Metro cluster with SnapLock compliance at this point. Yeah, there was a couple of places we did that, right? I mean, we, we uh, when we when we brought SnapMirror forward, we we made the the conscious decision to stop attempting to do synchronous SnapMirror just because it, we learned in the field that it wasn't worth it. Like it sounds like something that everyone loves in practice, it doesn't work well. You know that there, there's a lot of stuff like that. It, this I still think this is this is great news though because SnapLock was one of those things where you would go talk to an account and you would try to get them all jazzed up about uh, on tap and and the new stuff that that or the 
what the new platform could do, and you'd get into one of these quagmires. All of a sudden, somebody in the back of the room just kind of <coughs> snap lock, and it's like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> moving here. on. Uh, we'll be back in six months with the new release, and hopefully, we can do that then. So, Tro-lo-lo-lo-lo. yeah, it's 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 really really it's really liberating to finally be getting to that checklist of like the weird esocentric. You know, we have a massive, ridiculously large install base, and servicing all of them just takes a long time. And uh, the another uh, feature parity. So, in case of Snaplock with Snapvault, so earlier in Seven Mode we used to call this feature as Lockvault, but uh, in the, in on Tap Nine we do not have support for compliance journal capability. Uh, so uh, that piece is uh, not supported at this point, but it should not impact any any customers who are using. Snaplock with Snapvault only to uh, store the snapshots with the uh, with the retention capability. Okay, so Lockvault and MCC are really our only two restrictions on Snapvault. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I've got locked data, and yeah. I can still access it. Yes, but I can. can't do anything else with it. No, you cannot delete that data. Well, I couldn't anyway, right? I mean, if it's compliance. Well, that's and and that and that's the double-sided coin about this entire feature and this entire like vertical and customers that use it. Like that, w- if you're relying on this for compliance, the fact that it's impossible to delete it is the is the whole point. Mm-hmm. If if there's a way to get around that, then you can't use it for compliance because it's it's not going to stand an audit. So, exactly. so yeah, we have to keep that in mind. Customers have to be very careful when it comes to Snaplock compliance because. These regulations are very strict, and they have to comply to them. Yeah, so and they, we, al- they always did. If you've ever used Snaplock, you knew that if, if you shot yourself in the foot, you might as well just throw those disks away. Yes, we have seen a few cases where they have locked their disks by mistake for 30 years, and uh, if it is Snaplock <laughs> compliance, you just cannot get them back. Yeah, I remember cases in support where people would call in in a panic. Oh, my God, I set my clock wrong. And we're like, sorry? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, 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 there are those operations where, like, you almost like you, you, you got to put like yeah. flashing text above yeah. and below. It's just like, hey, wake up, pay attention. What yes. you're about to do is very important, and it's really hard to undo. On a related note, would you like to buy some more discs? Right. Yeah. <laughs> we have some new fresh ones to sell you. Which is also good because they're not using flash in that scenario. There. <laughs> Preventing expensive mistakes since 2016. All right, so we talked about Snaplock here and all the goodness that comes with that, minus the MCC and uh, Lock Vault piece. For now. For now. For now. As well as the Flash piece. For now. Mike Worthen is here. Stop blowing into the mic. Mike. <laughs> nice. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we should have probably thought about this a Vetted. little more. <laughs> Call it the veterinarian first. Mike, have you taken your pills today? This morning. Okay, good. We're good. So Mike Worthen is a TME of uh, Metro Cluster as well as data protection. And he's going to tell us a little bit about what to expect in ONTAP 9 that's new for Metro Cluster and data protection. So let's start with uh, Metro Cluster, since that's your most expertise <laughs> The one that the most recent, your most recent acquisition <laughs> of expert knowledge. Okay, subject matter expert. <clears throat> okay, so some of the great new features that we have coming with uh, Metro Cluster in uh, on Tap Nine. 
One of the uh, the top of mind uh, features that a lot of folks are talking about is eight node support, which will now be available in on tap nine. Uh, also, mirrored and unmirrored aggregates will now also be available, which uh, a great use case for something like that for a mirrored or unmirrored use uh, aggregate would be critical versus non-critical data. Yeah. Say, you know, if you wanted to use something a little less expensive, more expensive, depending on what you were doing. 300 kilometer support now for ISLs for certain protocols. So I definitely want to qualify that to let everyone know that with our NFS or SIFS slash SMB protocol, you can now extend that distance from 200 kilometers to 300 kilometers. So that's kind of been not a huge gap that we've we've seen in the field, but we have had people ask about it before because whenever they kind of start. Interesting. So that's 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 NFS and, and SIFS only. Mm-hmm. Uh, th I was wondering how we did that because I had read that we had extended the maximum distance for Metro Cluster, and and I was kind of looking at that, going, "Well, wait a minute, that's always been limited by the speed of light. How the hell did we make that further?" Yeah, I think we have someone like Justin now standing on each side, throwing the NFS frames across the last hundred kilometers. Yes, I am the Greek god of NFS. Yes. Okay, so you're repeating it, getting it that additional I'm, distance. I'm, I'm Zeus. No, it it, it actually th that that explains it. If it's only for the NAS protocols, we've got a little more leniency with NAS protocols, so therefore we can stretch those buffers just a little bit more and, and get some more distance for our customers. Yeah, and and maybe possibly in the future we might see something a little block related because we are also introducing with on tap nine fiber channel over IP. So that's a new feature now with Metro Cluster. So maybe we'll see some some evolution there. Maybe we it won't always just be uh, file-based protocols. Who knows? Yeah. Um, another uh, great feature that uh, we have are mixed configurations with FAS and AFF. And you kind of kind of have to look at the configuration depending on what you're doing. You can mix those platforms together. So just keep in mind, you know, the number of nodes you're going to put into a Metro cluster because that'll have an effect on what protocols you can run and whatnot. So you said eight nodes. Is that eight nodes per side or eight nodes total? Eight nodes total. Okay, so four on four and four. Basically four and four on each side. So kind of getting, you know, a little bit similar look to, to the way that it runs in seven mode and kind of what we've expected from it historically. So I think we're starting to fill some gaps there. We're also starting to see just the, the uptake of Metro Cluster starting to increase a little bit. So starting to see more U.S.-based customers purchase it and use it. So a lot more involvement here. here in the you know, we haven't had a, a uh, Metro Cluster podcast in a long time. Well, you know, honestly, Metro Cluster is this feature that, that just kind of came in a whirlwind. You know, we... Uh, 8.3, we, we, we added MCC initially to, to cluster data on tap, now just on tap. Mm. Um, and then 8.3.1, we, we added the ability to do two node clusters. 8.3.2, you know, we, we continue to, to, to iterate on it. Um, with 9.0, it sounds like we, we, we've actually kind of got to the last of the list that I'm aware of. Uh, you just kind of crossed off the last little bits that, that I knew of that customers had been asking for. I'm sure that there's something out there. I'm sure the team's still working on some some edge case that we found, you know, just because when you start participating in a space like the synchronous storage <laughs> world, you start to find all the applications that have this requirement. Yeah. Uh, and you start to learn about their their edge use cases and the alterations that they all require. But so that's awesome. Let's do some Metro Cluster fun facts. Okay. So fun fact number one, Metro Cluster is a DR 
uh, mechanism for failovers between two clusters on two different sites. How far away can the sites be, Mike Worthen? 300 kilometers if it's NAS and uh, SIFS protocols, or 200 kilometers if it's anything other. Okay, and what are those limits based on? The speed of light. That's good enough for me. Speed of light. <laughs> kind of hard hard data. Yeah. Hard yeah, to refute. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. That well, was a softball question, Mike. Well, it's, Thank you. Well, and it, we've mentioned this on the other shows, but it's worth mentioning just so that no one gets gets confused if you're listening. Uh, when we talk about distance, we don't mean distance as in, like, distance that the bird flies. Mm. We mean distance as in... Uh, the distance that the light actually has to travel to get in between the two sites. Length because, of cable. Yeah, the, the actual limitation here is latency. How long mm. does it take for us to get a, a signal from site A to site B and back again? Because uh, that limits uh, how, how... That's the, lo- the, the floor for, for performance from us when we, when we deploy a metro system like that. Yeah, okay. and, and latency is really the key there, right? If, if you're, you know, ISP, if you're... Uh, pipeline provider is adding, you know, two or three milliseconds of latency into that link, then it's not going to be 200 kilometers. Yeah. Right. If if you're running, you know, dedicated fiber, you know, point to point fiber or something very close to that between the two locations, then yeah, you can. Well, you know, that's latency numbers are going to. Well, be for for and that's why for today, uh, actually, with the the 9.0 release, it's the first time we've ever supported FCIP. Uh, we've never supported it previously. We always required dark fiber for that reason. But even when you require dark fiber, not all fibers the same. You, there's different loss factors and <laughs> and different quality of, of signals. How many how many repeaters are are in there? All yeah, that. How nonsense. many fiber ends have you polished? <laughs> Way too many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, I'm here with you. Anyways, anyways, um, <laughs> uh, all of that stuff g- g- goes into into those determining factors. But but we obviously continue to try to do what we can to to, to loosen those restrictions for our customers. Yeah, to to basically help them, you know, overcome issues with latency. Because yeah, as you guys yeah. you know said, that is kind of the core of that issue. And you've mentioned now synchronous uh, replication a few times. And I just kind of want to keep that at the forefront. That would be kind of a good segue into the SnapMirror stuff because yeah. it's asynchronous and it's kind of a hot topic. So I'm going to kind of use that, however, wherever yep. order we go. All right, fun fact number two. The two biggest things in Germany are David Hasselhoff and MetroCluster. Metro <laughs> <laughs> don't hassle either. Don't hassle the MetroCluster. <laughs> I don't have any more fun facts. We're out of fun facts. I'm out of fun facts. We're out of fun facts. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure. Let's ask the Metro Cluster TME. Do we have any more fun facts? Um, none other right now. Okay. Well, maybe we'll have a Metro Cluster show now that we have an actual Metro Cluster TME. Okay. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. All right, Metro Cluster. We're done with that. So now let's focus on uh, some data protection feature functionality. So we talked about SnapLock. Um, What's new in ONTAP nine with data protection? So uh, some, some great new features that we're bringing uh, with ONTAP 9 with SnapMirror and SnapVault uh, are specifically around licensing changes. And, and some of those changes are being put into place to, to make the product easier to sell, easier to purchase, and easier to implement and configure. But let me back up a little bit first and give a little bit of context around our data protection and our data recovery scenario in this specific context. So uh, we've historically had a data recovery feature in SnapMirror uh, based on our snapshot technology that you could copy those snapshots around to the same cluster within the same cluster or to other unique clusters outside of one. Um, and that's been an asynchronous transmission uh, and continues to, to be that uh, with ONTAP9. So a little bit of a difference there between the replication that happens 
with a snap mirror snap vault operation and what happens in in metro cluster um <clears throat> So we've had SnapMirror, and then in 8.2 timeframe, we introduced SnapVault because we had uh, use cases and, and folks that were asking for the ability to change those retention periods and do different things, manage that data differently. And, you know, they wanted a way to kind of be able to simulate uh, writing to a tape device or even interact with a tape device. So we gave them a, that ability, and we introduced that, that second engine then we started efforts to bring those two engines together into more of a unified engine so that we didn't have people basically needing to set up two different operations if they wanted to accomplish you know, kind of the same thing. And it also added some complications with the licensing scheme, which you know, I just kind of shared that we're, we're trying to now simplify. So we've unified the engine now. It's now you now have the option. You can do just a straight-out snap mirror function or a straight out snap vault function or you can do a unified function which combines basically the functionality of both snap mirror and snap vault into the same volume and just as importantly into the same baseline so hopefully that immediately translates right into cost savings because so, so we've so we've now consolidated on what we internally called LRSE right so the logical replication storage efficient engine i think it is yeah but don't use that term anymore so, yeah. But so, because previously, right, in the 8.3.x days, right, we had, uh, there was essentially two replication engines, right? There was the block replication engine, there was the storage efficient replication engine. Mm -hmm. And if you went with traditional snap, snap mirror, it was block replication. If you went with version flexible snap mirror, it was logical or space efficient. And if you went with snap vault, either snap vault by itself or the combined snap mirror, snap vault, it was the uh, space efficient. And on tap nine, if I'm hearing you correctly, we have now just consolidated. It is now just that single replication engine. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, Andrew. I definitely miscommunicated myself then because that is not the case. You actually still have the option to use basically one of three options, choices. You can do a traditional snap mirror using the block engine. You can use the logical engine if you wanted to do a snap vault operation, or you would again use the logical engine if you were going to do a unified operation, a snap vault, snap mirror operation. So okay. basically two engines, just kind of three different ways to interact with either of those two engines. Uh, and Right now in ONTAP uh, 9, if you create a snap mirror relationship and don't specify the type, the default is still DP. So something to keep in mind. And DP is block. Yes, DP is our data protection uh, mode, and it's using the block engine. And a, kind of a little bit of a difference between our disaster recovery and 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 tape backup or disaster uh, data backup. So a little bit of a difference between SnapMirror and SnapVault, just kind of from a use case perspective. With our SnapMirror, our messaging has always been that that is our disaster recovery. Uh, utility, our offering, our solution. And what we mean by that, what our objective in disaster recovery is, is that if your primary site goes down and makes an application unavailable, it will immediately fell over to the secondary site transparently and be available. There will be no disruption to the customer there. That's our disaster recovery messaging. Whenever you hear one of us here talk about disaster recovery, that's what we mean. And then uh, when we talk about uh, data backup, then we're referring more to a snap vault operation where maybe you're going to take those uh, snapshots, change the retention periods, maybe push them out further, maybe push them off to a tertiary storage device or maybe even a tape device. But 
a real important thing that our data backup or snap vault offering can't do is that immediate flip of the switch to become the active on the secondary in the event of a failover. So keep that in mind, but then if you were to take advantage of the unified engine, you would get longer retention times or shorter. You could mix the retention times as well as have that immediate application failover. So why didn't we just make the unified default then? Great question. Um, we've been working quite a bit on that, doing customer analysis, because it seems like the biggest roadblock is the custom scripts that our customers have proliferated oh, throughout their environments crap. where they specify. DP. Yeah. yeah. So okay. Let's back up a little bit, and let's go over some of the technical differences between logical and block, because I don't think we've done that here. No, we haven't. Let's, let's go ahead and talk sure. about that. Can you... Can you sure. Elaborate on that a little bit, Mike. Sure, sure, sure. So kind of the two different, uh, the, the differences between the two different engines. So if you're talking about the block, basically the block goes out, it looks right for the next, it looks at the next block, determines what it is, is it the one I need? No. Goes on to the next block, is it the one, sorry, that I need? No. Goes on to the next one, and eventually it finds its its other block, right? Yeah. With the logical one, it, it, it's based on pointers, right? So we're talking about a little bit newer kind of programming construct. And it just knows and points at the block that it needs next. So there's a map. Basically, there's a map okay, so, that it knows of. So in, and if you know anything about Waffle, it's right anywhere, right? Blocks go anywhere. I don't know where they might have gone. They just go there. Yeah. So if I'm looking for blocks, then I'm searching for a while. If I know where they are, I go right to them. So by that... Uh, explanation, I would assume that logical is faster. Was that is that accurate? Um, initially, honestly, it wasn't faster. There was a little bit of a latency discrepancy between the two, primarily because we added that additional feature to the engine. We basically are saying, you can now do these two features in the same volume, huge cost savings, right? Yeah. Reducing your baselines, but you're going to suffer a little bit. That's now, that's that was the work that has been at the top of the priority list between 8.3 and 9.0 is is closing that performance gap. And it's closed now. And we have tools available on Phil Portal specifically to help people measure that before and afterhand. So they could measure, do some measurements leading up to it before they even implement a solution. Yeah, do you guys remember the term de-swizzle? <laughs> oh, my God. I haven't heard that in <laughs> yeah. a while. Cause it, yes. so, so you remember it, right? The block replication engine, right? Yeah. And, and as, as Justin said, right, waffle at the low layer, it's it's an abstraction layer, right? It's a redirection. So the the logical blocks and the physical blocks, it's an association that's made. So when we replicate the, the logical blocks with the block replication engine, it lands on the new system, and it has to do that map, de-swizzle. And there was some early versions in the, God, it was way back in the early seven days when that could have a performance impact on specifically read yep. operations as it had to do that, that locating in real time. And we solved that, right? Everything was great and all that other stuff. And then we came along with the logical replication engine where instead of, you know, replicating blocks, it's now replicating what is effectively files, right? Yeah. It's replicating at a higher level. So it lands on the new system and it's just writing out new data like it would any other new data. Uh, we don't have to worry about things like, you know, snapshots, right? When you do the block replication engine, it takes things like snapshots with it. Everything at the block layer up goes with it. At the logical layer, it's just that that data. So it's a, or just the live file system data, I should say. So it's it's definitely different. Um, each one has its advantages and disadvantages. I am super happy to see the logical engine becoming 
more and more default because of all that flexibility, right? The ability to have a single destination be both a snap mirror and a snap vault, the ability to do version flexible snap mirror, right? All of those things make it, as an administrator, it's it's awesome. You're leaving out a very, very important part of that logical piece. It has nothing to do with NFS. It has to do with the data fabric. Very, and yes, absolutely. the strategy of snap mirror to everything, and that's where the logical engine really takes its value. I was going to mention that too. That that is the engine we will be using, you know, going forward. And as we we continue to evolve our data fabric story, and right now we have we we have a strong uh, data fabric story when it when it comes to our data protection solutions. And you know, you're certainly able to use it to move data around within the data fabric, whether it be you know in the cloud to on prem or vice versa, or just around in the cloud. You have a lot of different options, and we continue to work uh, to put efforts in for supporting different platforms. Excellent. So going back to de-swizzling and Waffle and Blocks, have you guys heard they're making a Tetris movie? <laughs> it's a trilogy. They're making what? a trilogy How on Tetris. How is that going to be a movie? Is, it, 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 is it like the Need for Speed movie? Is it just going to yeah, be about a guy who know. plays Tetris? It, First, <laughs> ditch. Second, yes. I'm, I'm completely missing the segue here, but... <laughs> Tetris Blocks! Fitting things in. Come on. It's not that hard to understand, Andrew. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm with Andrew. You just took a complete random jump off a cliff. I went with you. Like, I was but with you. But it wasn't that far off. It was kind of a cool jump, though. I, I, I agree. I was following Glenn. I was like, I'm I don't gonna, know where look, he's going. Look, I'm going to call the tow truck. We're going to pull everything back out of the All right. All right. I just wanted to go there. We're going to de-swizzle and articulate our spines. Everything will be fine. <laughs> de-swizzling complete. All right. Back on topic. Uh, or maybe not. All right. Uh, now that we've pulled this out of the ditch, uh, Mike Worthen, do you have anything else for us in data protection that's uh, new? Uh, nothing else today. I appreciate you having me. All great. right. Thanks a lot. Now, um, let's go to one of the questions we got to the podcast. So we don't get these all the time, so we don't always cover them. But we have uh, an email account, uh, podcast at netup.com, where we encourage people, listeners specifically. Um, ideally. Ideally. <laughs> To send in questions of their choosing that we would answer on the podcast. And in return for getting those questions from you, we will send you stuff like stickers, if we have them, um, books. Apparently, Glenn and Andrew have written a book. Is it like a Great Expectations type of book? Or is it, you know, is it fiction? Seriously? You two wrote a book? Yeah. it's No, it's 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 a Bible of, of very boring, like, how to do power CLI automation against vSphere. Oh, well, okay. there you go. So, so if you're on Power CLI, if you're into vSphere six or, or just PowerShell in general, and or just whatever you want a book, we got a book. Apparently, anyone who's anyone has written a book, Mike. I, you and I, better. Or have you already written a book? <laughs> I've not written a book. No, I've not. One team up. Just a collection of short stories. Write a book about superheroes. And really bad poetry. Angsty. Okay, I want to read that. <laughs> I want to see you two team up and write a really bad book about poetry and superheroes. Make yes. this happen. We'll do we that. could probably pull that off. I could probably do that today. Okay. <laughs> anyway, what's the name truck. of your book? Though? Out of the ditch. All right. Tow touch. What's, yeah. Out what's the, the name of the book? Yeah. Uh, so I, if I'm remembering correctly, it's been uh, it's been the better part of a year since we were involved. It's the vSphere Power CLI reference for uh, vSphere 6.0. Okay. So if you answer the podcast or if you send a podcast question in, you get that book. As well as a stick figure drawing and an autograph from whoever you want. I don't care. Yeah, until this box under my desk is empty. I yes. need to get rid of these books. You need books. to get rid of these books because okay. no one is buying them. Yep. Hey, people are buying them. These are these are the author copies. Oh, I'm okay. just trying to spread the love. 
All right. I, all right. Can I send in a question and get one then? You and can. And will the two of you autograph it, more importantly? I will. Uh, no, there will be no autographs. Just Justin stick figure. I'll autograph it with a stick we've, figure. We've already talked about this. Okay. <laughs> Along those lines, we have an email, Justin. Excellent. So let's hear it. Okay. Uh, David writes in, Hi, gang. I would ask a question and get a copy of Glenn and Andy's book. Huge fan of you guys, including Justin. <laughs> I like that he included me. <laughs> even, though I, even though I haven't written a book. Yeah. Here's the question. What would you guys recommend is the best way to centralize and weaponize PowerShell scripts for VMware and NetApp? Did he it, say weaponize? Weaponize. Oh. But yeah, cool you could kind it. of think of it as weaponizing. <laughs> yeah, like weaponizing for your, your tier one staff. Yes. That should be the title of your book. Is WFA the right tool? Question mark. Would it love another podcast to talk about it along with some directions on how to create custom workflows? That is actually a great idea, uh, David. So uh, future podcast about WFA and how to create custom workflows, we'll write that one down and put it on the list, see if Excellent. we can get, yep. get, get uh, the right resource in here for, for a longer extended conversation. Um, we would we would almost kind of need to have th- another layer of information to be able to really answer this, you know, because c- it depends on the problem that you're trying to solve. If the problem that you're trying to solve is just how do I productize the concept of using automation and homegrown tools, right, scripts, whether they be PowerShell or Perl or Ruby, I don't care what you write it in, but, but something that you inside an organization produce and then wrap process around and it becomes part of how you do business, right? Right. Uh, if you're doing that, the real thing you need to get is source control. You must get source control somewhere in this process. It needs to become part of your life and, and, and how you manage and maintain these, these, these scripts because they are now part of your business. They are part of how you get things done, and source control is how you manage uh, 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 plain text files that, that are in that, 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 that so spot. Do I need to install ClearCase to do that, or could I use something easy like, I don't know, Git? Git is fine. Git is what I use. GitHub. Yeah, I GitHub. use I use I use a private Git repo for for my yeah, own personal yeah, yeah. stuff. Or you could do GitHub, make it yeah. open source, share it to the world. I mean, you know, get improvements on your scripts. That that is what's handy about Git. If you put if you're working on like tools and stuff, you can start in a private and then just make it public, and and your all your history's there, everything's there, it's available. It makes it very simple to 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 move that stuff around in in buckets like that. Now, yeah. Andrew, I think disagrees. Well, there's there's I was going to add on that. There's tons of uh, of no, ways to, to have Git locally as well, right? Whether it's creating an empty Git repository on a web server and just allowing WebDAV to handle it or using something like GitLab, right? There's a, a whole lot of stuff that you can use internally to manage that source control. Um, so if we're talking about taking, for example, a, a script, whether it's in PowerShell or Perl or Python or, or C if you hate yourself, um, you know, whatever that is, if you want to take it from just being a command line executable that maybe you have on a central server that uh, people log into or on your local desktop and turn it into something that, you know, can be accessed through a web page, there's a number of different ways of doing that. Um, so one, of course, staying inside of Net- NetApp's portfolio, WFA. Uh, WFA, you can import it, right? You don't necessarily have to create a full in-depth workflow. You can take your script, you can import it as a command, you can create a WFA workflow out of that single command if you so choose. And once you do that, now you have a GUI in front of it, right, through WFA's web-based GUI. You also have a REST interface in front of it through WFA's RESTful API facade. Now, going beyond that, outside of NetApp's portfolio, you have a couple of different tools. Uh, So the one I am most familiar with is things like vRealize Orchestrator. Vrealize Orchestrator, you can go in, you can create a PowerShell host inside of there. You can add scripts to it. 
you can create workflows that execute those scripts if you so choose. Again, RESTful interface, it integrates in with a whole bunch of other tools, including the web client. So now at that point, you could have a workflow that you right click on a virtual machine or a data store or whatever object inside of the web client and say, I want to execute this VRO workflow. So certainly a way that you can execute it that way. And then finally, another way that I'm fairly familiar with, and it's a little bit, uh, how shall we say, unsavory, and that's literally creating essentially a web-based wrapper script. This is something that Glenn and I have actually done with an internal tool we use called the NetApp Demo I Cloud, where we just we literally created, a, I think it's PHP, that yep. is a RESTful wrapper around PowerShell scripts, right? Where you can go in and say, I want to create a virtual machine. and Click it, a button, there you go. Yeah, it accepts that, that information from another web page in JSON format. It kicks off that PowerShell script and provisions everything. Yep. So... I've done, I did similar. I did similar things when I was setting up labs for teaching classes. Right, you want to set up a cluster or an SVM, click a button, and it just kicks off all the stuff in the back end. Well, so and 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 this is why this probably warrants a, a much 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 more in depth conversation. Um, but 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 this is why you really need to have that next level of conversation because w what is the problem that you're trying to solve and how long are you trying to solve it? Is it, you know. Uh, uh, I was with an organization once that 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 uh, we had to migrate them from NT4 to Active Directory 2008 to give you an idea how long they were on NT <laughs> longer than they should have been uh, a very long time. By the time I got there, I couldn't believe they were still running NT. Anyways, when we got there, it, it was a it was a massive migration to get these guys into Active Directory, and one of the big complexities was that they were all using a a very sophisticated PKI in infrastructure, and everything was encrypted. And if we lost those certificates this workforce would lose access to their data. So we had to migrate thousands upon thousands of users and not lose those certs in the process. That's a very complicated task. We ended up doing that through a self-service web page because in that instance, it was a one-time task that we needed to scale out and we needed to remove all of the risk and we needed to remove the complexity, right? There, are other, there were other things you know, in that same work stream that we solved with scripts that we just taught people how to execute. So my advice to you, Dave, is if you're just trying to make it easy for someone to consume a tool, you can teach them to, to type on a command line, right? If they're entering, if, if, if your vision of this is a blank box where they would type something in, typing into a blank box on a web page and typing into a command line, they're the same thing. And they both have the same human error, like the same, you can put the same validation checks on them, all the same, same, same. Now, where, where GUIs do have an advantage is you can layer them and you can like pull from a data source and populate a dropdown so that instead of you know typing in blank text, you can pull from a catalog and that sort of stuff. If you're going to take that next step and just kind of like full up, well, now you're not, you're not building simple scripts, right? You're building practical application stacks. So it's, yeah, it's a very fine line. And I, I also want to say something else along the lines of, you know, supportability is something that absolutely needs to be taken into account. Um, you know, I have worked in organizations where I was the guy who was doing all the automation. And when I left, right, there was nobody to take over that mantle, which means that it stagnates at that point until somebody else comes along or it falls out of use. So using, you know, industry standard tools, so things like WFA or VRO or Microsoft Orchestrator. Is it System Center Orchestrator? Right? Well, I mean, uh, honestly, if you're just trying to put a web page or a web service, Windows will do this out of the box with the OData web services in Windows Server. Yeah. It's uh, complicated, but it's possible. You know, and, and lately I've been a pretty big advocate of, you know, the declarative configuration management tools. So using things like Puppet, Chef, Ansible, Salt, the things that are 
widely known things that are very easy to pick up, things that are easy to support going into the future, right? What happens if you get hit by a bus tomorrow? Is anybody going to be there to support that automation? All right, cool. So that is our podcast question this week. Um, Dave, please send your address so Justin can draw a stick figure in one of our books and send it on to you. Okay, so uh, we've covered ONTAP 9 data protection features like SnapLock, uh, MetroCluster, as well as the enhancements to SnapMirror. Talked a little bit about block engines and logical engines. Mike Worthen, do you have a Twitter? And if so, where can we reach you? If not, where can we reach you? Uh, I do have a Twitter. It's at Worthen Michael. Sid, you're still with us, I hope. Um, what's your Twitter? Uh, so you can reach me at, at the rate Siddharth, which is my first name, underscore 145. Okay, what's the 145? It's a secret code. Oh, is that is that your pin on your bank account? <laughs> Not so secret anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so Siddharth is S-I-D-D-H-A-R-T-H, correct? That's correct. All right, we'll also have it in the blog post to make sure people can get it if they want to add you to Twitter, follow you, and listen to all the insightful things that you probably are saying out there. Mm-hmm. Which I'm, how many tweets you get? Well, not many. Yeah, I'm just, not a just, just whenever uh, insight rolls around, <laughs> like everyone else. <laughs> Stop with it, the truth. Yeah, tech, it's tech uh, conference. Yeah, listen, that's what Twitter is for me, man. Yeah. <laughs> Twitter is news slash I'm going to a tech show. Time to get with everybody. There you go. Time to annoy all my followers. Tech on tap. Tech on tap. All right. Okay, that's uh, that's a wrap for today. Um, make sure you listen to the rest of the month. We'll be talking more about ONTAP 9. I have a blog out there on whyisetheinternetbroken.com that talks about the schedule of what ONTAP 9 month is going to have. So look out for that. Um, if you want, check out techontappodcast.com. We already have episodes posted up for ONTAP 9 month. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast.netapp.com or send us a tweet at NetApp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap team and Mike Worthen and Siddharth Agrawal, thanks for listening. Everybody's on their phones now. Oh, yeah. Could you talk into the mic? Do you understand how microphones work? Can you are- not hear me sitting right across the table from you now? I love that this is all going into the recording. This is totally going yeah, into the recording. Yeah, this is so going to be on care. the episode. This is totally going to be on the episode. Oh, yeah. no one swears. Nobody swear. Andrew, what are you looking up? Twitter handle, please, for the podcast. Um, we don't have one. At NetApp. Lame.